Now, grab your Bibles, if you will, and open them to um, Luke chapter 15, and let's return to our, our, our um, study of the parable of the prodigal son. We're almost done, guys. You just hang in there a couple more weeks. I'm going to read you the last, pretty much the last half of the parable. It begins in verse 25. You can follow in your copies as I read from that which is inerrant, infallible, um, uh, without mixture, without error, error. <laughs> the very mind of God is black words on a white page. It says this. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed a fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you, and I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this endures forever. Hey guys, um, uh, one of the, the points that I have sought to make in this uh, series on the parable of the prodigal son, actually, I've really only made, really tried to enforce two points through these nine or ten sermons. One of them is that the parable is not about the two sons, it's about the man. It's about the man who had the two sons. The, but the other point that I've, I've sought to emphasize is that this parable uh, is primarily aimed um, aimed at the, at the church-going crowd. It's aimed at the, the religious crowd. It's aimed at a crowd like this. Um, and the reason that I say that, the reason that I make that point is because, as you know, I think, um, the chapter, Luke 15, opens in verses 1 and 2 with Jesus being criticized by the scribes and Pharisees because he, was, he received sinners and ate with them. So what you have here is a parable that is provoked by a piece of criticism. Criticism by the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious crowd, the church-going crowd. Um, that criticism is then answered uh, by Jesus with this parable. You know, there's another place in... In the New Testament, uh, it's in Matthew chapter 12, verse 14, where, where we're told that the same crowd, the scribes and the Pharisees, they wanted to destroy him. Now, the word is destroy in the, in the text. They wanted to destroy. They want to kill him. And why? What, 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 is, what does that little paragraph say over in Matthew 12? Well, uh, it's about Jesus doing some things on the Sabbath that these guys didn't think were right. You know, Jesus had committed some Sabbath sins. Hmm. He uh, healed a... Sick. You're not supposed to do that. 
guys, you and I both know that their, that their offense with Jesus wasn't about Sabbath sins. Their offense with Jesus is because his message overturned everything that they stood for. Everything. Guys, have you, have you ever noticed that it's the moral crowd? It's the religious crowd that is the most offended with the ministry and the message of Jesus Christ. While sinners flock to him. <laughs> there's, a, there's a scene in the Old Testament in the life of David. You remember him. David is the, is the most, he is the primary Christ type in the Old Testament. And it's before David has become king of Israel and he's being chased by Saul. And he's running from hither and yon to try and hide from Saul. And he, he hides in this place called the Cave of Adullam. It's in 1 Samuel 22. He hides in the Cave of Adullam. And, and we're told that while he's there, a group begins to gather around him to support him. And the group is described as the depressed, discontented, discontented, dispirited, and in debt crowd. So who was it that was attracted to David? Well, it's the same kind of crowd that was attracted to Jesus. Let me ask you this way. Um, Why is it that the gospel of Jesus Christ is exploding in places like Africa and China and even Central and South America while it's dying in the West including good old U.S. of A. Why is that? The point I'm trying to make, ladies and gentlemen, is that not only is it true that it was the moral crowd that opposed Jesus the the most in the New Testament, it's also true today. It's the same crowd that has the, the biggest offense with Jesus and his message. The moral crowd, the, the religious crowd. The church-going crowd. Um, you know, guys, when you, finally, when you finally understand the truth about yourself, then you're, you long for a Savior. But when you think that your performance is pretty good, then somebody telling you that you need a Savior? Ugh. I don't like that story. I don't like that message. And you oppose it. You resist it. Um, Philip Yancey, in his very good book, uh, What's So Amazing About Grace, he kind of comes at it a different way, and he opens up one of his chapters by asking two questions. I want to read you the two questions that Philip Yancey, he says, has it ever occurred to you that the ones who were most comfortable with Jesus in the New Testament are the ones that we just might be most uncomfortable with today? He asks the same question just differently. He says, has it ever occurred to you that the ones most uncomfortable with Jesus in the New Testament just might be the ones we're most comfortable with today? Now, guys, I, I have posed a lot of questions in this little introduction here, and, and I, the reason I have, or the questions are designed to say this, 
I'm convinced that a lot of those questions can be addressed in this whole elder brother thing that we find in the parable of the Good Samaritan. The portion that I, that I just read you this morning. So we're going to talk about it this morning, and then we're going to talk about it a bit next morning, uh, next Sunday, Lord willing, and then we'll be done with this, um, with this parable. Now, I, I want to begin this morning um, really by, uh, with an observation that I got from a guy by the name of Henry Nowen. Henry Nowen wrote a book entitled The Return of the Prodigal Son. And uh, it was his observation that, has, that stimulated me so, but um, uh, his observation was this. <laughs> Get ready. <laughs> he, he observed that there is an elder brother streak in all of us. That's right, you, me. It's an elder brother streak in all of us. And to make his case, to prove his point, he he uses the parable of the the vineyard in Matthew 20. Now, you don't have to know it. I'll tell you about it real quick. We're not going to read it. We don't have time. But the parable in Matthew 20 about the parable of the vineyard goes something like this. I mean, you'll recognize it. Remember, this this landowner goes uh, out and hires some guys to work in his vineyard at 6 o'clock in the morning. And then he realizes that, that he needs some more. So he goes back at 9 o'clock and he gets some more to work in the vineyard. And then he realizes I need some more. So he goes back at noon and he gets some more. Then he goes back at 3 and he gets some more. And then he goes back at 5 p.m. and he gets some more to go work in the vineyard. And then 6 o'clock rolls around and it's payday. So everybody lines up to get their pay. And in the front of the line is the guys that have worked only an hour. And they, of course, end up, as you know, uh, getting the same amount of pay as the, um, as the other guys that work 12 hours. And every time I read that parable, <laughs> there is this, this sense of irritation that rises up in me. Because, dadgummit, that parable violates accepted principles of fairness, does it not? And not only that, why didn't the landowner pay the guys who had worked 12 hours first and then let them just head on down the road, happy as a lark, to their houses? But no, no. Instead, The ones who get paid first in this parable are the ones who only worked one hour. And so the guys in the back of the line are thinking, well, hot dog. (laughs) I mean, if he gave those guys uh, that much money for an hour, you know, what is he going to give to us? And, and, And by the arrangement of who gets paid first and who gets paid last, the parable creates a situation of resentment and, and anger and bitterness. Do you get that? Do you ask some of those questions here every time you read that parable? Does that, does that parable irritate you in just kind of a small way? You know where that came from? came from your elder brother's streak. 
You see, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not only a prodigal son. I'm also an elder brother. Because you see, one of the the chief characteristics of an elder brother is that he, he has a tendency to compare everything in his life with other people. Just like you see in the, the prodigal son, elder brother's mad because he didn't get the fatted calf. You know, he did. Oh, I don't. And just like you see in the parable of Matthew 20, wait a minute, they got that. I didn't get this. I, I worked harder. You know, you know. The, the tendency of the elder brother is to compare everything in my life with somebody else and then get angry when the, when the standards of fairness that I have adopted are not observed. So, so we come to conclusions about what we're owed. We, we come to those conclusions by comparing ourselves to what others got. I mean, if, you know, if they got that... <laughs> Then, then I should get this. Other people are having a better life than I am. But I'm a better person than they are. And thus it begins. <laughs> I mean... Um, what do you got to do to get a fatted calf around here? I mean, uh, do you have to go uh, go squander your inheritance and uh, you know and live your life with prostitutes before you can come home to be embraced and kissed and assured that you belong? I mean, I want you to listen up here, Father," says the elder brother to his father. He says, um, "You know what?" I, I have been working around here all, I've been working for you like a dog all these years. And you never gave me a fatted calf. I, I, I kept all the rules. Where's my fatted calf? I mean, you never gave me a fatted calf to have a party with my friends. But, but when this son of yours, huh, huh, the one who just got back after squandering your wealth with prostitutes. Why? You, 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 you threw a party for him. Gave him a fatted calf and threw a party. Well, I just want you to know I don't like it. I don't like it. it, it, it it's, it's not fair. Um, and very honestly, I'm the one. Who deserves the fatted calf? Not him. Guys, um, one of the fundamental flaws in the elder brother is that he doesn't approve how the father deals with people. 
You see it in the parable of Matthew 20. You see it in this parable. Um, the elder brother, he wants a more equitable distribution of fatted calves. And, and I'm the one who gets to define equity, he says. And, and at the core, the elder brother views himself as the standard after which others ought to pattern their behavior. The, the, the kind of people that the, that the father ought to bless are people like me. I, I, I have obeyed you all of these years, but I haven't gotten what I really wanted. What I wanted was a, was a fatted calf, and you, you owe me, and you haven't paid up. And that makes me angry. And my anger is because I'm thinking that I didn't get a fair shake. Um, and, and that anger always leads to resentment, which always leads to envy, and uh, then all manner of other crime and or evil. You know, there's a statement by the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 10 where he says, we dare not compare ourselves with ourselves. If you compare yourself with others, I'm paraphrasing, but this part I'm not. The text says, you are not wise. You're not wise because you're acting like the elder brother streak that's in us. You know, guys, a lot of ugliness in me because God's ways just don't measure up to the way I think things ought to operate. And not only that, you see, elder brothers... They don't want to eat with sinners. They don't want to eat with sinners either. I, you know, I'm uncomfortable in a room full of those unclean folk. You know, like my prodigal brother. I'm not going in there. Now, guys, um, having told you all that, one of the things that I hope that you noticed in the parable is that the father. The father never makes that mistake. He never compares those two boys. He, he never says, well, your younger brother never acted like that. And, and guys, here's my point. I've been telling you this whole series on the prodigal son that this parable is about the man. This parable, every syllable of it, is about grace. It's about how grace 
operates. And, and I'm telling you guys, this grace stuff, we don't get it very well. I guess one of the reasons that it's so hard for us to, to grasp grace is that we live in a world that constantly compares people. We rank them. We rank them as uh, you know, more or less uh, uh, intelligent or more or less uh, attractive or more or less successful, which means, of course, more or less money, which is really what we want because we don't want to miss out on the ranking. And because, because we have that elder brother streak that, that gets trained throughout our lives, it's not easy to believe in a love that doesn't operate like that. I love him more because, oh, I get that. I got that kind. You see, when I hear someone praised, um, it's hard not to not to ask myself, "Well, am I praiseworthy too?" Or, or when I read about some the, the kindness of people, I, um, I it's hard not to wonder, "Well, am I that kind? Am I as kind as they are?" Or, or when I see trophies and rewards and prizes being handed out to, you know, those special people, I, I cannot help but, but ask myself, why didn't that happen to me? Compare, compare, compare. That I got down. It's grace that I don't get. That elder brother streak that's in all of us. It explains a lot of the illness in my soul, ladies and gentlemen. It, it explains a lot about the illness in the church that I attend. And... Um, it also explains why certain people make me so uncomfortable. Because I think I'm better than they are. But he got the promotion. And she got the corner office. I, I live in an elder brother world that trains me over and over and over again to be an elder brother, to compare, to compare me with you. I live in a world of anti-grace. From, from very early on, we are taught how to succeed in a world of performance. You know, the early bird gets the worm. No pain, no gain. There's no such thing as a free lunch. Demand your rights. Get what you pay for. I know those rules. I know them well. 
because in a lot of measure, a lot of ways, I live by them. I work for what I earn. I like to win. I insist on my rights. And I want people to get what they deserve. Nothing more. Nothing less. And that's because I'm an elder brother. Grace is foreign to our ears. It's radical. And when I finally embrace it, it begins to change every fiber of my being. Ladies and gentlemen, you can bet your bippy. There's an elder brother streak in every one of us. It's kind of the Christian version, I guess, of of the elder brother. There's a non-Christian version, too. And the non-Christian version will damn you. You know, guys, in a lot of ways, the elder brother... He, he is more lost than his younger brother. The elder brother is not, he's not lost in spite of his goodness. He's lost because of his goodness. John Gerstner used to talk about, he said this is a lot. He's dead now, but he's a great teacher. But Gerstner used to talk about their damnable good works. You see, ladies and gentlemen, all of us know that we are supposed to repent of our badness. But some of us have not yet seen that we need to repent of our goodness. And if you want an example, it's right there in this parable. He's called the elder brother. Listen. Listen to how he talks. He says, this son of yours. Do you see what he did? He just excluded himself from the family. Um, he's saying, this son of yours, who is no brother of mine, and I'm no son of yours, if you're going to act like this. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is where you see where this parable is about the man. (laughs) Because this is where this God of all grace begins to earn his reputation. Because he doesn't take a swing at his oldest boy, like some of us would have. He, um, he doesn't remind him about, um, you know, the Bible says, uh, you know, honor your father. He knows that, that he has lost both of his sons. He lost his younger son to a life of prodigality. But he's... He's lost this older boy to something far worse. He he lost his older son to a life of angry self-righteousness. And his self-righteousness has so distanced him from the father that he might as well be in the faraway country feeding the pigs. 
this boy wants his father to love him as he deserves to be loved. Because he stayed right where he was supposed to be and he followed all the orders and he did all the right things. He wants his father to love him for that. And the father does love him. But not because of any of that. Any more than he loves the younger son for what he had done. He doesn't love either of these boys according to what they deserve. He doesn't love either of these boys according to what they deserve. Rather, he loves them more because of who he is, not because of who they are. And do you know what we call that? We call it grace. And, and the elder brother, he simply cannot understand a love that operates like that. He cannot understand a love that's not based on right and wrong. He cannot understand a love that you don't earn. He cannot understand a love that throws a welcome home party for a prodigal son. He can't stand it. And consequently, he stands outside, outside his father's house, outside his father's love, Refusing, refusing every invitation to come inside. Guys, all of his resentment, that is the the elder brothers, all of his resentment and his anger and his envy and his jealousy and his harshness and all that are the result of his not being able to understand the father's love. He does not get it when it comes to how the Father distributes his love. He doesn't get it when the Father distributes as he will what is his. He doesn't, he doesn't understand grace. He doesn't understand the gospel. The gospel says this. It says that when you are in Christ, you are very sinful. And 
you are very loved. The elder brother, the elder brother feels very unsinful and very unloved. And that, ladies and gentlemen, will damn you. Will he ever see his mistake? We're not told. Will he ever come inside? We don't know. But if he ever does, then all of that supposed goodness of his is going to have to be left outside. Because as you know, This book says there is none good. No, not one. Do you know that? None of us are good. The best of us are not good. Well, what about you? Will you ever come inside? Oh, God, that you would draw people irresistibly inside this house of grace, this place where the Father distributes his love to the undeserving. Would you open their eyes to see the great beauty of who Jesus Christ is and the gospel of his grace? Would you, would you remind us all, Father, that though we might think of ourselves as better than the guy sitting next to us, all of that, all of that is nothing but an elder brother streak in us. And it ain't pretty. So rebuke your people. And then draw those who are outside of the gospel of grace. Inside. This house of bounty. The place where. The father. Is worshipped. We ask it of course. In Jesus name.